Welcome to Improbable Walks, the podcast that brings you to the streets of Paris wherever you are. My name is Lisa Passold, and I'm a writer and traveler who loves to walk in the city of light. Every episode, we step into history by strolling down a different block of the city, exploring buildings and people of the past and of the present. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your time and ears. If you're just discovering the podcast, please check out my website, lisapassel.com, for photos, previous streets, and more information. You can also support this free podcast by visiting my Patreon page, patreon.com slash lisapasselt. You can encourage the podcast by subscribing, which helps me find new listeners. Today, we're walking along the Rue de l'École de Médecine, the street of the School of Medicine. And as you may imagine from the word school in the street name, we're walking on the left bank near the Sorbonne. Our inspiration today comes from a photograph taken by 19th century photographer Charles Marville. It's held in the Paris Hôtel de Ville library collection. If you want to see the image, visit my website. The photographs taken by Charles Marville are always interesting because his work documents the radical changes which happened here in the 19th century when the Latin Quarter was bisected by two brand new arterial boulevards, the Boulevard Saint-Germain and the Boulevard Saint-Michel. And our street today, École de Médecine, exists as a narrow link between these two arteries. We're starting at Boulevard Saint-Michel and following the narrow street as it runs west from Saint-Michel on a diagonal for two long blocks towards Boulevard Saint-Germain, where it ends at Metro Odéon and Boulevard Saint-Germain. For centuries, the Rue de l'École de Médecine was known as the Rue des Cordeliers. Why? Because Mad King Louis IX gave this property to the powerful order of St. Francis, who set up a large monastery here. The street was initially nicknamed La Rue des Cordelles because of the rope belts worn by the Franciscan monks. The word was deformed over the decades to become Cordelier. Today, however, centuries on, the street is known as the Rue de l'École de Médecine, logically because of the university buildings here, and that medical name is a good place to start. The street's association with medicine goes way back to the year 1255. This is the moment when the medieval Confrérie des Chirurgiens, the Brotherhood of Surgeons, was created in Paris and began operating here on this street. Prior to the 1200s, this area held a medieval Jewish cemetery, and traces of this street go all the way back to Roman times, when this was a simple path between two vineyards. The scene is much less bucolic today, with students rushing up to classes at the Sorbonne and lots of traffic. Let's put our back to noisy Boulevard Saint-Michel and head down into the very narrow Rue de l'École de Médecine. You'll be looking at a mix of buildings, some of which go back to the 1500s, and some of which are from the 1970s. While you admire the buildings, keep an eye out for city buses rattling along their left bank route, because the sidewalks here are almost non-existent. 
The first plaque we find walking away from Boulevard Saint-Michel is just before the entrance to number 5, Rue de l'École de Médecine. This is a plaque marking the birthplace of the divine actress Sarah Bernhardt, who was born in this location on October 22, 1844. She was born Henriette Rosine Bernard. The most talented actress of her generation, daring, incredibly hardworking, one of the great innovators of 19th century celebrity culture, this was not a child born into glamour. She was the illegitimate daughter of a Jewish-Dutch courtesan and an unknown client. Sarah was initially sent to the country, then to a convent school where she decided to become a nun. Fortunately, one of her mother's friends, the Duc de Marny, encouraged Sarah to study theater, and the dramatic little girl would go on to become the great Sarah Bernhardt. Under this name, she went into the Conservatoire to study theater at age 16, and she joined the Comédie Française soon afterwards. What impresses me most about Sarah Bernhardt is her professional commitment. We can see her work ethic with our own eyes in the few silent films she made at the end of her long life. Her first appearance on film is very stagey, her gestures exaggerated, much too big for the small silver screen. But almost immediately, she adjusts her acting style. Bernhardt taught herself how to work with close-ups, just as she had learned to impress huge audiences from St. Petersburg to Texas. In her fascinating life, she also found time to sculpt, helped run a hospital for wounded soldiers at the Théâtre de l'Odéon during the Siege of Paris in 1870, and she traveled to the battlefront during World War I to encourage French soldiers. She'd lost a leg by then, and when her wooden leg hurt, she used a wheelchair. The French soldiers nicknamed her Mère Lachaise and cheered to see her, this elderly, vibrant actress determined to let nothing hold her back. Sarah Bernhardt very well understood her role in the Dream Factory. Passing her plaque that marks her birthplace, you come to the first important standing address on this walk. An elegant Beaux-Arts entrance leads into what's now the Institut du Monde Anglophone, part of the Sorbonne Paris 3. From 1767 to 1928, this location was an important school for boys. The School for Art and Design had a variety of names over the centuries, and famous students include Fontaine Latour, Rodin, and Fernand Léger. The equivalent girls' school for arts and design was around the corner, and that's where the great painter Rosa Bonheur taught. Renowned for her paintings of animals and landscapes, Bonheur was born in 1822 and became one of the best-known Paris painters of the 19th century. Today, she's more famously remembered for being lesbian. Some of you might have seen last year's exhibition of her wonderful work at the Musée d'Arcy. I admire Bonheur for making her own rules. She made her living as a painter and teacher and lived her life as she wished. She smoked, she wore men's clothes, she cut her hair in a bob, and this was in the mid-1800s when it was truly radical, not in the 1920s when many women cut their hair. Bonheur also lived with her long-term female companion. 
Continuing down to the corner, we find more of a sidewalk to stand on now in the Rue de l'École de Médecine. The street widens out at number 15 with a driveway that accesses a modern university building. Standing here looking past a metal gate to the left, we can see a visibly older building. This is the former refectory building of the Cordelier Monastery. The building dates from around 1506. After the abbey was decommissioned by the revolution, the politician Georges Danton and other activists founded a club in this very building on April 27, 1790. Crucial for the political evolution of the French Revolution, this association became known as the Club des Cordeliers because of the building that used to be part of the monastery. The club included men like Danton, the printer Marat, and the journalist Camille Desmoulins, all active in unleashing the powers of the French Revolution. But as we stand in the street looking ahead, we realize that there was a lot of building going on prior to the revolution as well. Back in 1769, Louis XV acquired several college buildings here and hired architect Jacques Gaudouin to build a new amphitheater for the Académie Royale de Chirurgie. You remember the Brotherhood of Surgeons that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast? They were still operating in this area. In 1775, though the building was not even finished, the academy moved in. Now, during the revolution, the separate academies of surgery and medicine were dissolved and remade, logically enough, as one big school of health and it took over even more buildings that had been used by the Franciscan monks. As we turn away from the Club des Cordeliers, you see on your right a large building now known as the École de Médecine, and that's what the street is named for today. The building you see here was completed in 1900 and contains a small and fascinating medical museum open to the public. The collection includes the very first prototype for a stethoscope invented by René Lanac in Paris in 1816. The university building here has a very grand Beaux-Arts courtyard and it's very elegant inside, which is another reason to visit the little medical museum. If you want to go, be sure to check the opening hours online and take a few euros in cash. When I last visited a couple of months ago, right at the beginning of 2023, they still had no modern ticketing system. It was just a cheerful student volunteer taking entrance fees in whatever euro coins we could scrounge up. They cannot take bank cards or credit cards or anything more elaborate, but it's well worth visiting. And you can admire the building, which is gorgeous. For now, let's walk further down towards the end of the street, where it jogs a bit diagonally and eventually dead ends in the intersection of Boulevard Saint-Germain and Rue de l'Odéon. The statue ahead of you is Georges Danton, orating while a young revolutionary soldier and an admiring street urchin encourage him. Danton is staring moodily across the boulevard. This area is deeply associated with some of the great French revolutionaries. Georges Danton was mauled by a pig as a child and suffered disfigurement, but he grew up to be a brave and brilliant man. Danton's good friend, the revolutionary printer Jean-Paul Marat, also lived on this corner. 
Marat was a scientist, a doctor by profession, a journalist, a printer, and a political speaker. He was originally from Neuchâtel in what's now Switzerland. He, Danton, and their journalist friend, Camille Desmoulins, who lived around the corner on Rue de l'Odéon, were often with Robespierre, the smooth-talking, impeccably dressed lawyer. Both Robespierre and the printer Marat suffered from nerves. It was, after all, a stressful time to be alive. Today's walk connects to two of our previous podcasts. So if you want to try an improbable walk that continues strolling in this neighborhood, you might check out Rue de l'Odéon from November 2020, which goes up to the left from here, and Coffee and Revolution in the Cour du Commerce Saint-André, which dates from April 2022 when I talked about that Cour du Commerce. Now, the interesting thing about the Cour de Commerce Saint-André, which is an atmospheric little passageway that ends just across the Boulevard Saint-Germain from today's street where we stand on the École de Médecine, well, the Cour du Commerce was amputated during the creation of the Boulevard Saint-Germain. It used to be slightly longer, and several buildings have been demolished. One of the missing buildings was the apartment of the printer Marat. So you have to simply imagine that where we're standing, looking at the Danton statue, is actually a row house. And Marat lived in an apartment one flight of stairs up from the street, with a salon, bedroom, kitchen, and office. Just off his bedroom, there was a small room facing the courtyard, which he turned into a private bathing room, where he could soak, trying to cope with his debilitating, painful skin condition. And that's why he's writing in the bath, right here, when he is assassinated by Charlotte Corday on July 13, 1793. For a brief period because of this assassination, the street Cordelier was renamed Rue Marat in his honor for the remainder of 1793 going into 1794. So for the last year of Georges Danton's life, he lived on a street named for his murdered friend and neighbor. Danton's statue almost exactly marks his address. It's about half a dozen meters too far west to be exactly where the house was, but it's close. The buildings at this end of the Cour du Commerce were built in the 1770s, so it was a fairly new, shiny address when Georges Danton married Antoinette in June of 1787 and moved into a large first-floor apartment here. First floor, a reminder, that's one floor up from the street, and in North America, we'd say the second floor. His salon faced the Rue des Cordeliers, i.e. our street of medicine today, and the rest of the apartment gave out onto the lively, interesting Cour du Commerce, the part that's been demolished today. Apparently, the Danton living room was lovely, not at all rectangular, with windows on two sides, a nice, bright, airy room. This, alas, is where Danton is arrested in 1794. He was guillotined in April of that year. His former friend Robespierre signed his death warrant. Robespierre also sent their mutual friend, journalist Camille Desmoulins, to the guillotine. A few months later, though, in July 1794, the dandy Robespierre failed to kill himself and was then executed. And our street here lost its Marat designation. The street became known as Rue des Cordeliers, dite l'école de santé. 
Two years later, it became officially Rue de l'École de Médecine. You really couldn't get expensive letterhead with your address printed on it during the revolution because your address changed regularly depending on who was in power. For that matter, so did the days and months and the exact date of the year because the revolutionaries had changed the calendar. Now, I approve of the metric system. I strongly believe in many of the revolutionary values, especially equality and the separation of church and state. But I really think the new calendar was unfortunate. No one could remember the new system. No one could even remember what day they were born on. And the French collectively breathed a sigh of relief when the official calendar was restored in 1806. Now let's stand here at the end of our podcast walk and jump ahead in time from the revolutionary years into the mid-1800s when the entire city is undergoing the Hausmann renovations. In the late 1870s, this whole area was rebuilt. The new boulevard Saint-Germain created a straight line amputating the cour as we discussed and demolishing the former homes of Danton and printer Marat. Suddenly, the École de Médecine Street was suddenly sandwiched between two brand new boulevards, Saint-Michel, where we began, and Saint-Germain, where we're currently standing. Which brings us back to that photograph I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Charles Marville was hired by the city of Paris to record the changes across the different arrondissements during the renovations. Sometime in 1866, before the demolitions, Charles Marville stood pretty much exactly where we are right now and took a photograph. Marville was obviously facing east, i.e. looking back up the École de Médecine, the route we've just taken. The street corner in Marville's photo is actually where the Porte Saint-Germain used to stand. This was the gate in the Philippe-Auguste Wall of Paris. It was a medieval gate started in the 1190s. It was demolished in 1672. Now, if you look at the photo on my website, you'll notice a building with a turret. The building just beyond this turret, i.e. a row house barely visible, was in fact Marat's apartment. It was a very ordinary building with a business sign hanging outside it in 1866. And it was demolished a few years after the photo was taken. I like the idea that we can stand here today on this busy corner just in front of one of my favorite old-fashioned ordinary cafes, the Café Danton, and we can feel a layering of centuries. We can think of the moment in 1866 when Marville takes the photograph for the city of Paris. And at that moment, even Marville himself knew he was looking at soon-to-be-lost layers of revolutionary history from the 1790s. And in those revolutionary years of the 1790s, Georges Danton himself would have walked past traces of the medieval walls and medieval buildings that dated centuries before him. All that history right here on this corner. It's known that Danton and his friends often met in cafes here. In fact, Marat drank an enormous amount of coffee. He was known to twitch and shiver nervously, and one theory is that he was simply caffeinated out of his mind. The revolutionaries often met in cafes in this very neighborhood to develop their ideas and distribute the newsletters that had been printed in Marat's shop. So it seems appropriate to finish up our walk here at the Café d'Anton and order a creme 
at the Comptoir, where they usually have the day's newspaper. If you enjoyed this improbable walk, please subscribe to the podcast. For photos and details about the walk, please visit my website, lisapassel.com. If you're looking for further links and information, you can support the free podcast by visiting my Patreon page, patreon.com slash lisapassold. Many thanks, as always, to my tiny podcast team, Bremner Fletcher for tech help and David Simmons for the atmospheric accordion theme music. Until the next time, we go walking into Paris history together.